Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Sunday night. We are happy to join you to talk about some Mets baseball at the start of it. It's been a very successful road trip so far. You got me, EJ, here. I got Ryan alongside me as my co-host tonight. JB is down for the count with a vicious stomach flu, so we figured we would not subject you guys to the sounds coming from his house tonight. So you get Ryan and I, which always tends to be a little bit more of a uh, relaxed kind of let you peek behind the curtain show and as we're sitting here just a few minutes removed from what was an extremely exciting and for Mets fans terrifying ninth inning, uh, a peek behind the curtain, Ryan and I, we just spent two minutes prior to the show discussing nothing other than Game of Thrones. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing well, EJ. Glad to, glad to be here today. Glad to, to be able to actually be, you know, call in and, and be available for a show uh, and, and perfectly happy to step in on a day where, uh, where who can't, uh, can't take part and, uh, talk about someone that he knows kind of well yeah yeah so just a quick programming note we were going to have greg prince on tonight to uh discuss his new book which we cannot recommend you going out enough it's a phenomenal read however doing our due diligence and our responsibility to the audience i have not finished the book i'm only about halfway through jb is well into it he finished it he's divulged it. he's he's highlighted parts i'm sure knowing how uh, thorough he is. So we figured that we'll just push that interview until either sometime midweek, maybe when the Mets have an off day or just for next Sunday night. But uh, to the listeners who love Greg Prince, and honestly, it's hard not to love Greg Prince and his writing. He will be heard on this show at some point in the next seven days. So just hold tight and we will, uh, we will get to that. But yeah, of course we always do whenever there's a cultural phenomenon going on, right? We, we do have to touch on it. So of course you and I were doing the game of Thrones discussion, although that ninth inning today certainly felt like we were watching what could have ended up being a, a bloody mess for the Mets. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, full disclosure, I have a roommate who is a fan of the Philadelphia suite of sports teams. So we were we were focused more on the Flyers versus Capitals game today, so I didn't get to watch the game. I was paying attention to the game via uh, Twitter and the Score app. So I was following along with that ninth inning and, and trying to refresh refresh feverishly between the two apps and going back and forth between them uh, and and seeing the doom and gloom predictions that we all tend to tend to resort to because we've seen this movie before. Uh, but it was definitely heartening to see that the Mets were able to overcome what I believe was uh, a double play that didn't get turned uh, and get through the inning and, and get out of it. So they they went into this week probably hoping that they could win at least four games. They walked away with five games and they, they won three and you know, they swept in the house of horrors that is Atlanta. So I think it was a, a nice little road trip all told. 
Yeah, and if you, you want to get in touch with Ryan about the fact that he does live with uh, somebody who could actually be a faithful fan of the Philadelphia Phillies or the Philadelphia Flyers, you may do so at the Big Country Griff. Don't come at me. Thank you very much. But, uh, yeah, it was a what has been a very successful road trip, 7-2. and two, And when we got off the air last week and JB was asking me what I wanted to see in between the Phillies and the Braves series, I said, I want to see – I need to see at least one sweep. I was – Obviously, you're not going to win or lose the division this time of year, but the first two series you played this year against the National League East were very disappointing. You were expected to go beat up the Phillies really well and beat up the Marlins really well, and you didn't handle your business, and that's how divisions get won, is by handling your business inside the division, especially when you have, let's face it, three very, very underwhelming, underperforming teams at the bottom of the division. So I was really happy to see. I was actually bummed that they didn't get the last game in Philly. I thought they had every opportunity to. They had got taken the extras. Um, I, I really I kind of would have liked to have seen that sweep up front. But you go, like you said, you go into Atlanta, a place that has been a house of hearts, a place that no Mets fan is going to shed any tears over seeing getting raised to the ground, and you take the sweep from them. So it was really good to see. And I think the best part of today Overall, aside from succeeding in the ninth inning, and of course, who did it have to be who did get the RBI hit in the ninth for the Braves? None other than our old friend Jeff Francoeur. But for me, the best thing that I saw today was Jacob DeGrom being back on the hill for the Mets. Yeah, it's it's been a, a bit of a whirlwind the last couple of weeks for, for the entire DeGrom family. Uh, you know, personally with him having to deal with uh, with the injury and, and the uncertainty of that, but certainly far more importantly, uh, the health of his newborn son. So it's it's wonderful to to hear the reports that you know everyone is everyone is doing well and that you know that initial scare appears to have been uh, passed. So it was great seeing him back on the mound today and and focus able to focus back on doing what he does best and that's just mowing down you know opposing hitters. Yeah, it's an interesting day for Degrom. He definitely. Was showed a little bit of rust there, and uh, it seemed like he was sprinkling a single an inning, which you can absolutely live with. Uh, he was getting his strikeouts, but it didn't look like his obviously a two week layoff and a lot of personal family stuff going on could take your arm a little bit uh, of a couple starts to get back to normal. But he ends up going five and two thirds, one earned run, and I think honestly you'd like to stretch that out a little bit. But for a first start after a two week layoff, going five and two thirds with one earned run ball. You'll take that from Jacob Degrom right now. Yes, absolutely. You know, going in thinking that he was on a on a pitch count of of around eighty five pitches, for him to have been able to to get into the sixth and almost complete the sixth is is a wonderful sign. Uh, you know, far too often in the past we've seen some of, you know, the young arms who you know have all the talent in the world, but sometimes they're they're getting pitch counts up into the eighties and nineties by the by the fifth inning. And, you know, having shorter outings than I think they or we would otherwise enjoy. But to see him get into the sticks on 85 pitches and, and do it without his best stuff uh, bodes well for when he does start feeling back in the groove and, and is able to start pitching the way we've seen the last two seasons. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, a lot of people are making a, a big deal about the ground velocity being down and, I'm not really that concerned about it, especially if you end up at some point having him and Syndergaard back-to-back days. Uh, okay, so you throw a guy who's throwing 100 at you one day and a guy who's throwing 91 at you a different day. That's, that's a whole different dynamic for a hitter. 
and could definitely get them out of their comfort zone. So I have no problem with DeGrom's velocity right now, and I'm sure that once we get to some warmer weathers, we're going to see him back in the mid-90s, and I, I feel like his arm will be just fine. The guy who I'm, I think all Mets fans have got to be worried about right now, though, about whether it's mechanics, whether it's arm, whatever it is, is Matt Harvey. And we've discussed it last week a little bit that we said that we weren't too concerned as of yet. Uh, apparently, Dan Worthing claimed that he saw what was wrong. It was completely mechanical, and it was something that was fixable. Well, if you saw Harvey's start the other night, it mimicked a lot of his starts where he had some early success, gets those mid-innings a couple of times through the batting order where they, they start getting to him. And let's be honest here. Harvey comes out of that game, he gets the five innings, but only because Curtis Granderson goes yard twice and backed him up on the offense. And let's face it, Yang Cespedes makes what is probably the best throw I've seen from center field to home in ages. I don't know if it was on purpose, as Keith was claiming that it was a matter of he missed the cutoff, man, but kind of thinking it was not a mistake because he hit Darno on the fly right at home plate. And that, regardless, that was Matt Harvey's last batter. So if he does not get a third out on that throw to home, Matt Harvey's out of that game at four and two-thirds, not on the hook for a win, and would be sitting here at 0-3 on the season. So I really don't know what's going on with Harvey, but I got to say I'm definitely concerned now where I wasn't just a simple week ago considering uh, Worthen had said this week he thought they had figured it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say what I think a lot of our listeners are thinking, and I'm sorry. Uh, this is entirely my fault. Uh, if you recall, in the last episode before the season started, my my bold prediction was that Matt Harvey was going to win the Cy Young, so I, I can't help but feel like this is entirely my fault, and his struggles are are the result of me making a prediction like that and and taking him in the third round for my fantasy baseball team. So... Uh, you know, the, the curse hasn't fully transferred over because I also took uh, Lucas Duda uh, in the later rounds. But, yeah, this, one, this one's on me. And, you know, if it means that I have, to, I have to completely go against everything that I said and change my predictions, I am willing to do so uh, for the sake of the, uh, of the team. <laughs> yeah, you, you and your superstitious jinxes will, uh, will always be something of a muck-up when it comes to the Mets. But you, you did, you're paying off dividends on the Duda. At least this week you are. So JB had the great line a couple of weeks ago that Duda has one good week every month, and then one month he has three good weeks. And that's pretty much his season. So I've been tweeting a lot this week saying that if Lucas Duda decides his one good week every month is going to come against NL East teams, I'm kind of okay with it. Because honestly, these past two series, it felt like, especially when Cespedes was in the lineup, it felt like it was not possible to get Lucas Duda out. Yeah, I mean, every hitter is streaky to some degree. Lucas Duda is streaky to a couple, you know, to to a few degrees more, perhaps. Uh, But everything evens out. And when you look at his numbers over the course of a full 162-game season, he usually, you know, winds up somewhere in the top eight or ten, you know, eight or ten overall first base in the entire major leagues. So, uh, I, I think he gets a little bit of uh, unfair criticism at times uh, from portions of the fan base, but I, I think he's uh, I think he's a very good first baseman. I think he's uh, a great source of power within an offense that seems to be full of sources of powers now. So 
watching him uh, go, you know, three consecutive games with a home run and, and tear up teams like the Phillies and the Braves is never going to get old for me. Yeah, the fun part of those three consecutive days was all three of them. He was part of back-to-back-to-back or back-to-back homers, which is just, I mean, can the Mets just move to Philadelphia already? Can, can that be Citizens Bank Park be our permanent residence? Because you just cannot contain them at that place. But, you know, it's funny. You, you talk about the amount of power coming in the lineup and some of it coming from the most unlikely sources. We had uh, our good friend Taryn Cooper, Coupon, last week, and she was talking about how funny it is, the small sample size early in the season, and how guys were uh, – you have a guy like Neil Walker, who was, as of last Sunday was hitting 200 on the season, and by the time the Philadelphia series was over, he was then hitting 300. So you can see how quickly averages change this time of year. But this guy, I looked at him as a really solid pickup, I kind of looked at him as, as Daniel Murphy with, the, with a much better glove. And all of a sudden, this guy is Daniel Murphy with a better glove, but the version of Daniel Murphy we saw in October last year. This guy is coming out with the power, coming out with the great at-bats, and really has been just a, a lightning rod for the team thus far from a very unexpected place in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, Walker was brought in to, for a couple of reasons, obviously. He was brought in to replace Murphy on the on the short term so that the Mets could give Dilson Herrera one more year to to kind of, you know, learn and, and get everyday playing time in, in Las Vegas. But no, I don't think anyone would have ever expected that Walker would be hitting seven home runs in the month of April, uh, tying his own personal... Uh, a record for the most home runs in a month in any month of his career, uh, and basically spending the first three weeks of the season hitting like Daniel Murphy did for the last couple of weeks of, of September and October last year. So it's been absolutely incredible, and you bring up small sample size, you know, having seven hits on 11, in 11 at-bats against, uh, against left-handed pitching with three home runs, uh, seeing that the Braves in, left, in uh, yesterday's game, I believe it was, actually taking out a left-handed pitcher and letting him hit from his more dominant, you know, stronger left-hand side against a righty, uh, you know, the book is already kind of being rewritten on him after a season where he didn't hit a single home run right-handed last year. Yeah, that's a great call. And you know what else is interesting about that is that's a Terry Collins call. And Terry Collins, in years past, I feel like they never would have had the opportunity to even have that arise that he would have yanked Walker and wouldn't have even given him the opportunity from the left side. Terry has always been very quick when it comes to the lefty-righty matchups and what the book is on a switch hitter from his non-dominant side. Terry's been very quick to pull him. And this year, the two things that he's done that I'm loving is he's letting Conforto hit lefties, which is huge because he's achieving really good things, and sitting him in the third hole while he's doing it. And like you said, now he's giving Walker that opportunity that, hey, Maybe I don't stink from this side of the plate. I'm just not given enough opportunities from it. Yeah, and, and I mean, sure, to, to some degree, some of it helps by facing the pitching staffs of Philadelphia and Atlanta as much as he has already this season. So, True. you know, there there is some degree of, you know, he, he's playing to the quality of, you know, he, he's succeeding because of the quality of the competition he's facing. But, you know, any, any offense that, that they get from the middle infield uh, is is just a bonus considering the the out you know the the offense that they're generating from the outfield and from the corner infielders right now. Uh, really, it seems like catcher is the only position where they're not right now getting consistent uh, everyday production. 
Uh, and I think it's only a matter of time before Darno and you know, on the days that he's playing Pulecki start heating up and, and making this an offense that's really going to be feared. Yeah, that's a good point, that they're not getting that production from there right now. What I'd like – I'm almost at the point of what I'd like to see is I'd love to see them get that quality backup catcher that they've talked about for years, even if it is somebody like a wrecker or somebody of that nature, not a guy who's going to light up anything for you. But give Pulecki a chance to maybe go back to Vegas, much like they did with Travis Darnell when he was young. They sent him back down to Vegas when he was supposed to be the everyday catcher. And when he came back up, he basically caught fire and had stopped. I'm almost at the point where I'd like to see them do that with Pulecki. So he's getting four bats a day. He's getting it in very friendly confines where you can really jack up an average and, and put up some power very quickly. And just give him an opportunity away from the team for a little bit. Go get some big numbers put up. Get your confidence maybe a little if it's just a confidence issue. And just give him a shot to get four at-bats a day. While Travis is up here and you get a, a quality backup, I'd still like to see Sandy possibly pursue that for that reason. Yeah, and I think that's a move that's, that's going to get made before the trade deadline. But, you know, that, that's something that's, that's probably not a, a top priority and it's something that is kind of filling in on the fringes of the roster that they're going to look to do closer to July. But I agree. With, with a talent like Ploiecki, it's hard to, to have him up with the, with the major league team and not having him play every day. Uh, and, it, and it's simply because they've got a guy who's more established uh, in Darno, uh, you know the the injuries have have popped up year after year. So you have to wonder if at some point Darno is going to miss some time due to due to some sort of injury. And he had a little bit of a scare when he got hit with, uh, on the elbow the other day. But I, I think that it's it's never a bad thing to to have a guy who you feel is almost too talented to not be getting everyday playing time. So. I think this is a problem that we're all quite happy that the team is facing right now as opposed to not having talented enough players to be playing in the everyday lineup like we saw even as recently as last season. Yeah, yeah, that's the truth. And to testify to that, uh, I have the Time Hop app, and I, I loaded it up before the show. And uh, <laughs> my Time Hop from three years ago today was uh, John Buck hitting Jordani Dalvespin in the face with a pie. So you talk about talent level. Well, that's only three little years ago, my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It definitely makes you appreciate what we have right now because because of the road that we traveled to get to this point. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I give Terry the, the praise that I've given him about letting guys go up against lefties in situations he normally wouldn't have in the past. But Terry's uh, Terry took a little heat this week, even with the winning ways going on apparently for uh, for one contingent of, of hashtag Mets Twitter, and I'm guilty of it in, in many ways myself, that uh, after the, the two losing series against uh, the Marlins and the Phillies and, and being under 500 while the, uh, the Nationals were that magical five games ahead of the Mets, a number they never achieved last year, which I think none of us really cared about. But uh, as they reached that point, been, uh, Terry, Terry's taking some hits here for what a lot of people are calling uh, crisis bullpen management and uh, desperation management, as he seems to be using some guys in some situations. Most notably, you have a blowout game, and he's still uh, pitching to matchups in the ninth inning. Uh, but, uh, that Terry was was acting a little too desperate for April baseball. 
Yeah, you know, uh, the the big one that that sticks out was when he used uh, Henderson for two innings uh, a couple weeks ago and then brought him back the next day because he felt it was a must-win game uh, after Henderson had thrown more pitches than he had thrown at any point, I think, in in his entire career and coming off of a shoulder injury. So uh, I I think there's always going to be something that uh, that we're going to be criticizing Terry for. I think that's just the nature of being a sports fan in general, not necessar- not just a Mets fan. But it, it, it is a little bit frustrating that he had a guy like Montero up and he had no faith in him whatsoever. And I don't know if that's a disconnect between the manager and the front office or if it's just... Uh, a complete lack of other options, but to to have an arm up and and to not use the arm uh, when situations may dictate it, because you're trying to either pitch to uh, pitch to matchups in a game that's already lost, or because a game is too close and you're just unwilling to use a guy that you have no faith in, uh, it, it's something that's not going to be sustainable over the course of a full season. Yeah, I think it was Matt Ehall who covers the the Mets who uh, tweeted out the other night, and I retweeted it, that through 15 games, and he showed how many appearances all of the relievers had up to this point. And I think it was all of the guys except one had a minimum of seven appearances. So you're looking at the entire bullpen being used 50% of the time. That's 80 appearances for each guy. And like you said, that is just – that's not sustainable. You're going to blow guys' arms out that way or tire them out. There are guys who are just – meant to be appearing that often. Now, granted, you're going to have your, your loogie specialist out there who won't be facing full innings, but, yeah, you would definitely like to see coming up in this, this, this upcoming series where, let's face it, they're not facing the, the most quality of talent when you have the Reds and the Rockies coming up. You would like to see uh, the, the rotation stretch out a little bit and maybe uh, make it less imperative for Terry to be using more than two or three pitchers a night. Yeah, uh, you know, maybe this is a situation where, uh, and again, this isn't something that they would do, but, you know, maybe because of the success that Verrett has had, I know that he's kind of the long man in the bullpen as the bullpen is currently construed, but maybe this is a week where you go to a six-man rotation, uh, give Verrett a start at some point towards the end of the week, but, have you know, give each guy uh, 110 pitches or give them a little bit longer of a leash, a leash to try to let them go deeper into the game to kind of cut down on the number of innings the bullpen needs to throw. Uh, but saying saying that, you could face a situation where you're trying to do that and you're shortening your bullpen, and then a guy gets blown up and has to leave the game in the third inning, and then you're really putting yourself in uh, in a dangerous position. You know, that's a good call. It's funny, last, I mentioned it on the show. My dad was a real casual baseball fan of the Mets over the past decade, and then last year kind of reignited the flames in him, so he, he was really into the team last year. But he didn't really catch till later on and towards the late end of the season, August, September. So uh, we had my kid's birthday party this week. And my dad walks in and walks right up to me. And the first question he says to me is, who the hell is Logan Barrett? <laughs> and it's just kind of funny, just the innocent way he asked it. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I thought early on in this season, even in spring, that uh, Jim Henderson was likely going to be my category of uh, my leader in the category of guys who surprise you or guys who came out of nowhere to – to really have a great season, I'm totally with you on Durant. As of right now, I don't see a reason not to let him get getting starts until he proves that he can't consistently be getting guys out and keeping runs off the board the way he's been doing. Obviously, if you can stretch out a little bit, give guys arms a little extra day of rest, and in the process, it's not like you're throwing out just a, 
an automatic, hey, he's going to give up four, maybe we can battle through it. If he keeps going out there and just putting up shutout games, why wouldn't you want him in that rotation, at least temporarily, while, uh, while everyone gets, let's face it, their summer arms, if you'll call it, in shape? Yeah, I mean, if, if the Mets were going to be content with just throwing a guy out there every couple of days that was going to be giving up four or five runs over five innings, they wouldn't have traded John Neese. <laughs> absolutely. You're absolutely right. That's, that's a great point. Yeah, this kid is really – he's impressed me thus far. I like his makeup. And you know what? He, he pitches so much differently than the, the young studs in that rotation. It's almost like when you throw Cologne out there. Obviously, he throws much harder than Cologne. But it's like a complete change of pace. You could definitely get an opposing team all mixed up when you're facing guys who throw in such different manners on different days. Yeah, you know, it, it, it was kind of like, you know, when R.A. Dickey was throwing in the rotation, he was just so, so different than what guys were used to seeing that it had an effect on the next day's pitcher, where, you know, guys were still off from the day before, and, and it was almost like a residual effect. And now being able to throw five or six different arms uh, who are capable of starting, uh, who are all dramatically different pitchers. Uh, you know, obviously they all have – with the exception of Cologne, some amount of power to their game, but they all throw something. So, you know, they, they all throw just different enough that they're not the same. You know, cut and paste carbon copy pitchers. Yeah, it's nice to have that that mix and match kind of in the in the rotation. And I'm sure, like I said, as the year stretches out, the rotation gets mixed up. Different guys follow each other on different days. Uh, as long as you throw a big sexy in there in the middle somewhere to really muck up everyone else, and uh, then you're all good. But I uh, wanted to talk a little bit, though, because I'm talking about surprise guys. And so far, we've got there, and you've got Jim Henderson. The one guy, I, I said it on the air before the season started, that I really was praying could be a surprise guy, and he's starting to show signs that maybe he's back, is Juan Lagares. Obviously, he has the, the gold glove play in Cleveland, robbing the home run up against the wall, which is nice. I'm all for gold glove games, but I'm more concerned about him making the everyday routine plays, seeing his arm being back in shape, and seeing him mature offensively. And thus far, it's early in the season, and he's getting a limited workload, but you can definitely see in Juan Lagares a guy who is trying to make a case for him to get more playing time right now. Yeah, you know, we were just talking about Kolecki and the fact that guys sometimes struggle when they don't get to play every day. But you look at Lagares, and he's the exact opposite, and you go back to when they traded for Cespedes, uh, ever since that point, when when the when the full time job was kind of taken away from Lagares, his numbers have actually improved in in the more reduced role that he's been in. Um, I think that you're going to see Lagares by the end of the year not an everyday not an everyday starter, but I think we're already seeing it. He's going to be an everyday player just by virtue of late inning defensive replacements, but. Uh, at this point, you're looking at the Mets having five guys who are capable of being everyday outfielders when you throw Daza into that mix. So they're they're certainly dealing with uh, with a wealth of resources in terms of guys that they could plug in in any of the outfield positions on any day. Uh, but you're right. If Lagares keeps hitting like that, I think that maybe there's a point in time where if Granderson goes into a bit of a slump, you see Lagares starting to get a little bit of time uh, even in right field on days where maybe Cespedes keeps playing in center and Conforto's in left. Yeah, the nice thing is with Granderson is he's smart. He knows his age. He knows what his body can go through, and he knows when to pull himself out of the lineup. 
So I could definitely see him doing so, even if it's just once a week, but opening the door for Ligaris to play. And like you mentioned, Diaza, I mean, can, can you find a more forgotten man right now on this roster? I don't think so. I think he's, he's trade fodder sooner rather than later. But if Ligaris can keep making this case for himself to play, I think Terry's going to find ways to get him in there. Like you said, he's going to get in at the end of every game anyway for a defensive replacement, barring a blowout either way. But he, uh, he definitely is showing signs that I think last year was not the regression that we all feared. I think it was more an issue. There was definitely something probably going on with him physically. Yeah. Uh, you know, touching on Diaz for a second, I think that the surest sign that you're going to see that he's on the verge of getting moved is if he starts getting three, four, five days of starts in a row, uh, yep. you know, under the guise of wanting to keep him fresh. Uh, yep. I, I think as soon as we see him get a, 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 an entire series or, or two starting in a row, I think that's going to, you know, that's the, full-on pump-and-dump strategy. For uh, something of value, probably in the bullpen or even that Ross back catcher that we were talking about earlier. And, and I think he's a solid player. I don't think he's a great player, but I think he's a solid ball player. He, he's what we were clamoring for to fill the Mets bench out with for the past few years, just a, a solid major league caliber player. And I think he would uh, flourish in that role. They're just That role isn't available to him right now. I like you said, it's an abundance of riches that we have right now and no more abundant than that outfield. I mean, if you look at how good that outfield has been this past week, you've got Granderson who, who just, like you said, he, he's streaky in his own right. Well, he opened the season kind of miserably, and all of a sudden his bat just came alive and you couldn't get him out. I can't say enough about Conforto. I love him. He got the official from Keith. Mm, I like what I'm saying out of this kid today on the broadcast. So that's the, the Keith stamp of approval. And, of course, Cespedes, who – much like uh, Granderson, didn't start out great, started out okay, and then all of a sudden he caught hotness, and, and he was very difficult to get out again. I mean, that outfield is as competent as we've seen a Mets outfield, and I really don't know how long. It's, it's probably been, I guess, the 06 run is the last time we've had this good of an out, outfield. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and I, it, it's wonderful to be able to to wonder which which of the guys who could be starting on half or more of the teams in the league are we going to be sitting on the bench and, and possibly bringing in for a pinch hitting role or pinch or uh, or defensive replacement later. But uh, as long as everyone's getting the playing time, as long as the as long as the clubhouse is happy, I think uh, I think that you won't hear any uh, any complaints coming out or, or any uh, anything negative coming out. So. It's just a matter of if they keep winning like they have the last 10 days, uh, I think they're they're primed for a run, especially with the next couple of series, like you said, with uh, with Atlanta, Cincinnati, and uh, and I believe Colorado coming up, that they're ready to uh, to make an, a, a little bit of a run. Yeah, obviously you can't expect an 11-game winning streak in a row like they had last year, but you definitely can make some serious noise over the next couple of weeks. Uh, you've already done so going seven and two in these three series. So this is, it almost felt like after the 11 game streak last year, if you recall two seasons ago, I had the trend on hashtag where I would hashtag quest for 500. How many times would I put that whenever the Mets would uh, be one game within 500 again. And after the 11 game win streak last year, that just I, I didn't even bother trying to revive the hashtag because they were always over five. It actually became last year the quest for 10 over. How, how long it would take them to get back to 10 games over 500. I feel like you could get back to that point very quickly right now. You went seven and two in the last nine, go out and do it again now. And you could definitely be looking at a team as we, we get back on the air next Sunday night, 
you can be looking at a team that has significantly over 500 and, uh, and is looking all the, the team that we expected to see coming into the 2016 campaign. Yeah, no, I, I think if they can start beating up on the teams that we expect them to beat up on and, and just consistently win series after series, I think, we, I think you're going to start looking at, uh, at a bit of a quest for 108. <laughs> well, I'll take 102 just because that was my prediction, and I like being right. <laughs> so, well, the, the last one that I have to, I have to touch on because I do like being right. I, I went back and I was trying to find the show that I, I started it on, and I, I think I found my first mention of him, and it was in 2013 where I said, as Drupal Cabrera would look really nice in a Mets uniform, he's the guy I want. And sure enough, he is the guy we have. Now, I never expected the returns that we're getting early on from him. I expected, and I've made the comparison before, he, he kind of reminds me of a poor man's Edgardo Alfonso. He's not going to have the gaudy batting average that Fonzie could put up, but he always has a solid at that. He's a smart baseball player. He understands the game. He understands situational playing. And in the field, he's extremely solid. We've gotten much more than that. We've gotten a guy who's gone out there. I mean, the, uh, the suicide squeeze the other night, that was awesome. Um, he showed a little power yesterday with his first homer as a Met. And in the field, he's been nothing less than brilliant. This guy is everything you could have asked for or more at that shortstop position. Yeah, you know, it, it's remarkable after after not having really an option at shortstop. Taha, uh, for, for all his faults, did have, you know, a, a good season or two uh, as the everyday shortstop. But just just the ability to to know that there's going to be consistency and and competence in that middle infield uh, on on both sides of the bag uh is, is something that's that's really helped shape the team that we're seeing right now because it, we used to see a, a double play ball that didn't get turned would usually lead to a run or two and an inning getting completely blown up so we're seeing double plays actually getting turned we're seeing uh, you know, plays where a ball might get booted, but it's, they're able to recover and still get an out somewhere. So I, I think that the the middle infield defense and really the defense completely up the middle from catcher through center field is really uh, something that's becoming a bit, you know, starting to become more of a calling card for this team uh, as opposed to what they used to have the last three, four, five seasons. Yeah, it's odd for that up the middle be a defense to be considered a strength of the Mets rather than one of their glaring weaknesses. And, you know, I mentioned Cabrera. I'd be unfair if I we, we talked about the entire rest of the infield except third base. And I'll tell you, Ry, if you ask me to pick out which guy on the Mets has spinal stenosis, I'm certainly not looking at number five, the captain, because thus far this season, he has looked great. I mean, he's made the vintage right barehanded play on the slow roller with the tongue out. He, he's shown power. And honestly, the thing that's shown me I've, I've enjoyed the most is he, he's racking up the doubles a lot. And back in 06, when I felt that David was at his best, it was that opposite field in the gap, the the right center gap that David would use and and get the two baggers. And I'm seeing a decent amount of that this year. I don't know if he changed his swing at all to try to take some, uh, take some tension off the back. I don't know what it is, but right now I'm looking at David, Wright. I'm saying spinal what? Yeah, you know, I, you, David Wright was was at his absolute peak, like you said, when he was when he was hitting with power to right center and, and right field, and we're seeing that again right now. He's not he's not hitting home runs to right field necessarily, but he, he's get, he's he's getting balls down to right field, 
a little bit of it, you know, the, the, the one area of doubt and, and worry that I may have is the fact that maybe it's because his bat isn't able to keep up with the fastball the way it used to be. Uh, you know, I'd certainly like to hope that it's a, a matter of changing the focus, but when David's hitting to right field, David's hitting well, and, and he's in a groove. So as long as we keep seeing that, he, he he really has nothing to really worry about, and I think the back fears can be uh, put to bed for a little while. Yeah, you know, it's funny. One of the biggest gripes that I have about this, and we're definitely struggling with it ourselves, trying to plan the happy recap annual outing, is there are no day games on Saturdays this season for the Mets. Uh, it's all 7 o'clock or later starts for the Mets. And uh, I think because of that, the end result, and I was talking to somebody on Twitter about it today, was you're seeing a little bit of the Bobby V, Mike Piazza effect when it comes to David Wright, that if you're planning on going to a ballpark on a Sunday, <laughs> don't plan on seeing David Wright in the lineup. I think that's kind of Terry's course of action right now. It seems like he's going to sit him every day game, every Sunday day game after a night game Saturday, and that's when David will get his rest. Whether or not he needs more, maybe another day in the middle of the week, that remains to be determined. But I think you're going to be seeing Terry, uh, he's floating out a couple of those Sunday lineups that Bobby V used to love in both benching Wright and Travis Darno on those Sunday day games after the night game. As as a former Sunday season ticket holder, I know that all too well. And you know what? If it means get, if it means getting regular playing time for guys on the bench and, and – uh, you know, and they can keep playing at the, you know, at, at the level that they are, I'll take it. <laughs> I actually also was a Sunday ticket holder who switched to the Saturday plan until they eliminated the Saturday plan because I called it my Piazza plan. I wanted to see Piazza play, so I would go Saturday night instead of, uh, instead of Sunday. But the nice thing back then was I'd still get about four day games on the Saturday plan during the year, and it wasn't all night games. Yeah, no, I – yeah, I was a Sunday season ticket holder, and I just remember so many, uh, so many seasons of, of just random guys. You know, just remember seeing, you know, a David Newhan jersey in the, in the stands. Not even <laughs> David Newhan, not even David Newhan in the lineup, but David Newhan jersey in the stands. Uh, so it's nice to see that someone in his family was at the games too, and also had a Sunday plan. <laughs> the Newhan clan coming out to support their own. That's, that's nice to hear. But, yeah, it's, uh, so I think, I think down the road you'll probably be seeing uh, a lot less of David and Travis on Sundays. And like you said, I, I called it today when I saw the lineup posted. I said, uh, this isn't getaway day. This is giveaway day for Terry. Well, shows what I know because those guys are still perfectly confident in the lineup. It wasn't throwing John Mayberry out there instead. It was uh, a confident lineup that got the job done. So as long as that continues to work, hey, Terry, long may you troll, Terry Collins. <laughs> Control he does. That's true, my friend. But so I think we're going to wrap it up here. A little short porch tonight, much like at Citizen Bag Park before the the Mets over the weekend. And uh, like I said, it's been a hell of a week. This is I think this is probably our happiest recap show that we've had since October, considering the way the season has started. And now we uh, we get back here, only losing one game this week, and going seven and two over the nine games. So this is a a pretty good time for uh, for the Mets to be picking it up. It looks like the team is starting to come together and be the team that we wanted to see, and as we, they go up against these uh, lesser teams here in the next week, what are you going to be looking at, Ry? I I'm looking for more of the same. Uh, you know, I, if they can if they can take two out of three out of all th- uh, all of these upcoming series, uh, you know, they just consistently are winning series after series. I think they're going to be in a really good position. We're going to stop hearing about maybe the NL East has already been won. 
and, and we'll start and we'll start looking at, hey, we've got a bunch of games coming up with the Nationals, and this is going to be a lot of fun because, you know, whoever wins these series is going to be the team that's going to be uh, kind of riding high in the East. You know, that's a damn good point, and you're, you're smart for bringing that up. I already I found myself earlier this week checking the calendar to see when the first time that we, we get into it with the Nats, and it's not too far off. It's middle of May, early middle May. So uh, we've got those games moving on the horizon. So it would be nice if the Nets do go out handle their business against these lesser teams, and then they uh, roll into to Washington all, all ste- full steam ahead. And, I, you know, I never thought that I'd be looking at a May series as uh, let's go, boys, and, and getting so amped up for it. But I'm a hell of a lot more amped for the Nationals' May series than I am for the Yankees' May series. Yeah, because the Nationals are, are an actually good team. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. So, well, my friends, we will be back here next Sunday night, 5 o'clock. Once again, I promise our listeners, you will get Greg Prince at some point. We may do him midweek and then throw him on Sunday night anyway because you can never get enough of Greg Prince. But until we know exactly when, we'll uh, be updating it on the Twitter. I'm at the Happy Recap. Ryan is at Big Country Griff. You can follow us, uh, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Happy Recap. And we will be back next Sunday night, 5 p.m. Hopefully we'll have Greg Chris along with you. If not, we'll be here to talk Mets baseball. But until then, let's go Mets. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.